What is up, everybody? Happy Wednesday. Happy Monday, March 7th. Welcome back to Space Talk. I'm your host, Athena Brensberger. Uh, you could also call me the in-app astronomer here on Colin, or some of you might know me as Astro Athens. Wherever you are today, um, I just hope you take a moment to look up at the sky. Hopefully you have no clouds and can gaze at the stars as soon as they start to rise um, around evening twilight, so about 40 minutes after sunset, because we have got some incredible space events that you can catch in your night sky for this entire week. So if you're new to Space Talk, hello, glad you're here. We explore tons of different things when it comes to the field of astronomy and astrophysics. And what I like to do on the first day of the week is to kick off uh, our weekly space events. So that includes must-see celestial events, I like to call them. These are different um, things that you can catch in the night sky that might happen occasionally, such as planetary alignments. Um, or sometimes the moon passing through a really great constellation that has bright stars aligned next to it just to make for a really awesome stargazing evening for yourself. And then we also combine it with uh, astronomy term of the week, as well as deep sky objects, which change daily. And then we have our space history and as well as our moon phase. Now, I usually will follow um, a an email that I sent out to my transmission members. So if you guys are curious to sign up for that, you can head to astroathens.com and you can get this in your inbox. So I usually put together all these things sometime over the weekend so that way you can get it by the time Monday starts and that you can make time for um, doing some stargazing. So to kind of look forward this week... Um, First, a few announcements. So I, we are going to be postponing my interview with Dr. Charles Liu from Wednesday to Friday. So it'll be the same time, 3 p.m. Central uh, this Friday. So I'm very, very excited for that. Uh, Dr. Charles Liu, I consider him a dear friend of mine. He was my mentor in college. I still consider him to be a mentor to me even today. Um, and just a wonderfully insightful and um, just very joyful, out, uh, a really fun person on top of also being this incredibly intelligent astrophysicist, cosmologist, and teacher. Um, So he is still a professor and is um, inspiring students every single day. So that's going to be a really fun interview. If you want to join for that, it'll be Friday at 3 p.m. Central Time. For all of you who joined uh, uh, during the interview with Corey Powell, thank you for being there. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. So let's go ahead and now jump into this week. All right, so I chose for astronomy term of the week, planetary rings. And the reason I did this was because of space history this week. A few planets were discovered with rings around them. Um, This is in history, so they are planets that we already know about today. There are no new planets that are being discovered within our solar system that have rings around them um, as of now, otherwise they'd probably be considered dwarf planets or, um, or, or cloud objects. So I chose planetary rings and this is, this is my own definition. So, um, you know, feel free to always put this in your own words or, or to maybe look up other types of definitions for, but this is what made the most sense to me. Planetary rings are rings orbiting a planet Uh, So rings orbiting a planet are common. In fact, all four of our gas giants have rings. The most prominent are around Saturn. You could probably see that through a telescope. 
But Jupiter, Uranus, and Neptune also have rings. They're usually composed of icy, rocky material that could eventually form into moonlets and eventually moons. In fact, Saturn recently outnumbered Jupiter in its moons, hitting the number 82, where Jupiter has 79. And the image I shared actually is of Saturn and Saturn's rings. And it shows each ring section that is labeled with the letters A through F. And so um, found within the F ring are one, two, three, four, five moons. You have Pan, Daphnis, Pandora, um, Atlas, and Epimetheus. And so all these different um, moons are really interesting because they formed within the rings. Like eventually what can start to happen is these icy, rocky materials can start to collide and they can start to eventually form into bigger icy, rocky material pretty simple. <laughs> and it's, it's not, um, the most uncommon thing that happens in the universe, but when this happens, eventually a moon can form. And then Enceladus is located out in the E ring. So it's a little bit further out. Um, but still super icy, super cold. And, uh, each of these moons have some kind of interesting characteristics to them. Uh, so I didn't really write down going into too much about the moons, but just to share a little bit about that Europa and Enceladus, uh, which Europa is, I believe it orbits Jupiter, but Enceladus orbits, uh, orbits Saturn. And Enceladus is a very interesting moon that um, has an entire like ocean of water underneath its icy surface. And in the South Pole, it has these plumes that shoots out icy water. And the Cassini space probe flew through it. And this is how it was discovered that it shoots water plumes out of the South Pole. And even more interestingly is deep within the surface, um, be, past the water, uh, there's been hydrothermal vents detected. And that's because the activity that, that comes from hydrothermal vents. If you've never heard the term before, uh, it's something that also happens here on Earth, um, there, so it's, it's, it's an interesting occurrence where there is a high production of sulfuric acid on top of which the water is starting to boil. And so it's reaching very, very high temperatures around these vents and so they're vents. So they're like cracks within the crust of the moon or within the crust of say the earth, which also has these hydrothermal vents. And there's a few other things to it that I can't remember off the top of my head, so we can do a whole episode on it so I can gather more of that info for you. But uh, I always found this to be fascinating, and it, I always think about it whenever I think about the moons around Saturn because there is a possibility that life can exist around here in the form of extremophiles, which are these tiny microorganisms that can live under very extreme conditions really hot temperatures, really cold temperatures, uh, lack of water, lack of air. Um, and, and so I think that that can be a very strong key to the potential of life existing elsewhere, just in our own solar system, our very own backyard. So since we're on the topic of planetary rings, I'm going to skip ahead to our space history, just while it's fresh in our head. And also as a reminder, we do have a chat feature on here now. So if you guys ever have any comments or questions or just want to say hello, feel free to type that in the chat. I'll actually start by saying hello. Um, so I'd love to, I'd love to hear from you guys, which would be 
I think, kind of fun. Um, so let's see, space history. On March 10th in 1977, the rings of Uranus were discovered, and this is when it passed in front of a star. It was discovered by James Elliott and a team of astronomers at MIT. Oh, also, we've got a hello from Hector. Hello, Hector. And so um, this was really cool. This this wasn't known yet because Uranus is, is very far away. Uh, it, Uranus and Neptune are the furthest planets within our solar system of main planets. Uh, it's usually what I refer to as the eight planets, as the main planets, because I do still consider Pluto and other dwarf planets. They are planets. They're just not the main planets. They're dwarfs. Um, and so... Our, our solar system can, you know, technically expand until it reaches up to the Oort cloud, which is this outer region just past the orbit of Pluto, where there's all these really cold, icy, um, rocky materials, similar to basically the rings around these planets. Uh, and this is where comets come from. And so uh, until we reach that point, uh, you know, it is argued back and forth between several different uh, scientists and astronomers of where the actual end of the solar system is. And um, the most uh, agreed upon is right where the sun's, uh, was, I believe it's, its radiation is able to reach. So it's, it's actual thermal radiation, it's heat. Uh, so that, and that's, that's right past the, the orbit of Pluto. But moving forward, on March 10th in 1957, Ion Engine Research first began at NASA's Glenn Research Center. You guys might have heard of NASA's Glenn Research Center. It is previously known as NACA Lewis Flight Propulsion Lab. So N-A-C-A Lewis Flight Propulsion Lab. And by 1964, two ion engines were produced for testing. So there, there is a little bit of rocket science in there. And then on March 13th in 1781, Uranus was discovered by William Herschel. And then March 13th in 1930, Pluto was discovered. And this was at the Lowell Observatory in Arizona. So the moon phase for this week is the first quarter moon. If you guys um, have clear skies, it's been currently been cloudy out here. Uh, but the moon phase is slowly starting to approach Um the first quarter moon. So we're currently in a waxing crescent. That means that it's growing from being a new moon into a crescent and then into a first quarter rather than shrinking. So waxing is growing. I like to think of it as like, you know, hair waxing, you wax your hair. And so maybe, maybe you don't, uh, but it's still something that humans, some humans do. And so, um, when you think of it, it's when the hair is growing, so you wax it. So that's a easy way for me to remember the waxing and waning moon phases and waning. I always think about it as like, it's shrinking. So it's, it's whining. I don't know if that works. It works. If not, you know, let it be. So <laughs> the first quarter phase is March 10th at 4:45 AM Eastern standard time. So let's now move into our must see celestial events. Uh, we've got quite a few here, and it's going to be starting with March 7th to the 10th. Look in your southwestern sky just at about 8 p.m. local time. So this is for uh, the, my friends in the Northern Hemisphere right now. So if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, go ahead and send me an emoticon at the bottom right. I've got a little rocket that just came through. Awesome, awesome. Got a few more. So that waxing 
uh, crescent moon is slowly growing into a first quarter moon is passing through the constellation Taurus going from March 7th all the way up to March 10th. And it's slowly starting to rise in the sky, going higher and higher overhead of the observer. And it passes by the Pleiades open star cluster. Now, if you haven't seen the Pleiades before, it's a very beautiful blue, brilliant open star cluster. And so to be able to see that while the moon is not full, it's going to be really cool. Uh, you might want to grab maybe some binoculars, but if you're in a dark enough sky, maybe you go camping, you should be able to still see the Pleiades with the unaided eye. I've been able to see it before when I've gone camping. And so this should be a pretty cool, uh, just yeah, congregation of um, the moon passing through Taurus and eventually working its way up higher and higher in the sky until the 10th. Then on March 11th to the 13th, you've got now the moon growing even closer to being that, that first quarter phase, which is, looks like a half moon. It's now passing through the constellation Gemini. And what you're going to want to catch here are the two brightest stars of Gemini known as Castor and Pollux. These are two super bright stars. And when you see that lined up with the moon, should make a pretty nice stargazing event for yourself, maybe in your backyard. And just south of that is going to be the constellation Canis Minor with the bright star Procyon. Canis Minor is pretty small, it's just two stars right next to each other, back to back. And this is going to be looking to your southern horizon, really, really high up in the sky. So think directly overhead is the zenith, just about a little bit lower than the zenith. So about 80 degrees. So if 90 degrees is directly overhead, that's a right angle. Just think about 80 degrees is a little bit more at a diagonal. That's right where you're going to be able to catch this celestial event. So it should be pretty cool to catch. And that'll also be right around 8 p.m. local time. And it's going to start with on March 11th, the moon is going to be coming just over on the, uh, the constellation Gemini looks like two people holding hands. You're going to catch it on the person all the way on the right. And then slowly it's going to pass through the person, quote unquote, in the constellation on the left. And that's right under that star Pollux. So that should be really cool to see. These are two events you can catch with the unaided eye. So once again, you don't need telescope or binoculars, uh, but I do recommend maybe going and picking up a pair of binoculars that are don't need to be super fancy schmancy. They can be a 10 by 50. What that just means is it's a 10 times magnification of what your normal eye can see. And the 50 is just the diameter of the lens. So hope that helps. Hope this is a little straightforward. And we've got now two more events for this week. Both of them are planets. On March 12th, Mars passes four degrees south of Venus at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, facing southeast. So it's 9 a.m. You're saying, Athena, what do you mean? I'm not going to be able to see this. It's not at night. For sure. Correct. If you have um, a really good telescope, if you're if you're a stargazer out there and you have a solar filter or an H-alpha filter and you want to try and do some daytime stargazing, you may be able to catch that. I mean, otherwise, you're probably just going to want to be observing sunspots on the sun or solar flares. Um, otherwise, if you are, say, you know, this is 9 p.m. Eastern time. So if you're in Hong Kong 
and you're 12 hours uh, ahead of us, it's going to be 9 p.m. your time. And so you'll be able to catch that. So this is why I still put this down in my transmission and also talk about it on here because I do have uh, my friends joining from around the world. Then, um, oh, one more tip. I mentioned it's four degrees south. So what does that mean? Um, If you take your pinky, that's one degree, hold it at arm's length and hold it up to the sky. You can test this right now in your room. I'm literally doing it right now. The width of your pinky is about one degree. And so that should be helpful. So this is only four degrees. So just imagine putting four of your pinkies stacked on top of each other, and that'll be the distance between Mars and Venus. Another tip is if it's, uh, say, something is 40 degrees in the sky or 60 degrees above the horizon, which is things we tend to hear a lot in astronomy, use your fist. Your fist from knuckle to knuckle, index finger knuckle to pinky knuckle is 10 degrees. Hold that all the way out, arm's length. This is for an average adult fist that for sure is going to vary because we have different fist sizes and I have pretty small hands, but that is about how big about 10 degrees would be across the sky, a little bit of a stretch. So hope that helps. The last uh, must-see celestial event for this week is on March 13th. Neptune is in conjunction with the sun at 8 a.m., Eastern Standard Time. So if you're ever tracking the conjunctions, um, and this is typically when uh, this, the planet will be visible uh, from the evening time into the morning time. So when it reaches conjunction, it's sort of passing that halfway point of now it's going to start to be visible in the morning. Whereas before today, it's been visible in the evening, and now it's starting to cross its orbit with us and with the sun where now they both are lined up opposite of each other with the earth in the center. And so now it's going to be opposite visibility. We'll be able to see Neptune in the morning if you're an early riser. So for our deep sky objects, we've got only one this week. Um, I always like to give the disclaimer that for uh, deep sky objects, it's recommended to use a telescope or binoculars. Uh, I definitely recommend a telescope more, more so unless you have a tripod for your binoculars, then go ahead, use your tripod and use your binoculars. Otherwise a telescope sometimes can just be a little bit easier, uh, to be able to hold it steady enough and to locate the coordinates of these objects to be able to see them. Now, this object is only visible in the Southern Hemisphere, so I'm sorry, Northern Hemisphere friends. I know I am also thoroughly bummed about this, and it's just because of just the time right now. Uh, a lot of things are visible in the Carina Nebula and, and the Carina uh, Constellation, and this is only visible uh, to my Southern Hemisphere friends. So if you are in the Southern Hemisphere, that's awesome. Um, send me maybe uh, an emoji or something to let me know. Otherwise... Um, Everyone else, just bear with me, and we'll move into another thing after this. So this is so on March 9th, the Wishing Well Open Star Cluster is what it's called, is visible in the Carina Nebula. It's at a magnitude of 3.0, and it can be visible with the unaided eye, but only in dark skies. So that's pretty exciting news. You'll be able to see it with the unaided eye. Uh, don't need telescope or binoculars for this one, but I still recommend it just because then you can see it a lot better. You know, you're not going to look for up in the sky and see the pictures that like the Hubble Space Telescope takes, um, but it'll still be pretty nice. But it's an open star cluster in Carina. 
And if you've been listening to the previous episodes on Space Talk, um, we've had a few other star clusters in Karina. It's this region of the sky where there is just such a, a collection of stars. And it makes sense because when you think about it, more stars equals more mass in this region equals a stronger gravitational influence on other things around it. And it can start to attract more stars to start to come near them. And then when these stars die, they can expel all of their elements, which can seed new star life. And so it's just like an endless cycle of, of rebirth and, and star death and then born, being born again. So for the Southern Hemisphere, uh, it's visible all night long. I know. I know. This, this, if anyone in the Northern Hemisphere is just like, oh, man, right, like... You know, not only are we, can we not see it in the Northern Hemisphere, but now the Southern Hemisphere gets to see it all night long. Um, so, yep, I know, but uh, that's that's just how space is right now. So maybe you guys can do a trip somewhere, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe to South America or um, anywhere else that's, that's below the equator and, and explore the night sky. So it's going to become visible at around 9.02 p.m., local time located around 38 degrees above your southeastern horizon now i put in coordinates for santiago chile for this one so this is specifically for that one if you want to explore other areas and where this might be located uh you can head to like sky and telescope you can head to geodatos.net put in your coordinates or put in your um location your city to get your longitude latitude if you have any questions, by the way, about anything I'm saying, uh, or if I'm losing you or there's something that maybe I hadn't mentioned or described before, please leave a comment. Um, I'd love to sort of elaborate on some of these things too. Otherwise, I'll just keep moving forward. So it's going to move across the sky from east to west, and you'll eventually lose visibility at dawn. Well, because the sun's up, and so it's, you know, really bright. Uh, this will be around 6.40 a.m., where it'll then be located about 35 degrees above your southwestern sky. So not too much of a difference in altitude here. Uh, when it starts visibility, it'll be 38 degrees. When it ends visibility, it'll be 35 degrees. It's still pretty low on the horizon. So if you are in an area where this is visible, go ahead get out, like on a higher altitude on a roof, maybe just be safe. <laughs> uh, make sure it's flat, uh, a flat roof and, um, or go up on a, on a hill, maybe go hiking or camping and, uh, go ahead and catch this open star cluster. Alrighty. So that is about everything for our space events this week. I know that that was, um, there we go. Actually quite, I think quite a bit more than, than, uh, than usual. So that is a pretty cool. Alrighty, so if you guys have any questions, feel free to do that. Otherwise, I'm going to hop into astronomy picture of the day just to close out today's episode. So if you have a computer in front of you and you'd like to join me, go ahead to apod.nasa.gov. I'll also type it in the chat, apod.nasa.gov. All right. Oh, it even linked it. That's really cool. All right. Um, so... This image, oh, wow, already it looks like a painting. I'm pretty sure it is because it has a, a, an autograph or signature at the bottom. And let's see. Now, most of the time, I do not look at these images beforehand. So 
I am exploring this with you guys, but already I love it because it's called A Lion in Orion. That's that's pretty that's pretty fun to hear. <laughs> it's pretty fun to the ear too. Um, a lion in Orion. So I'm guessing this is the Orion Nebula, and then it says, "Can you see the lion?" There's a deep exposure. Shows the famous dark indentation that looks like a horse head. So the bottom left of the image that uh, is should be the horse head nebula, and it does look like uh, a horse's head. That's why it's called that. Um, and it's an absorption nebula. Uh, so this is why it's dark and shadowy. It is absorbing starlight uh, from behind it and in front of it. So you're, well, sorry, from, from in front of it. And it's reflecting light behind it. And so this is what's causing a silhouette. And then it says, let's see. Also, that's also called Barnard 33, by the way, is another name for the Horsehead Nebula. Once again, we have tons of different names, which reminds me, uh, how space objects are named. I got to schedule that episode. Maybe I'll do that tomorrow and we'll talk about nebulae. Let me write that down real quick. Um, tomorrow's episode. I'm going to put it in the chat as well on how nebulae are named. I think that would be really kind of fun to uh, to probably explore as well. So just put that in the chat. So if you guys want to join that, it'll be at the same time tomorrow, 3 p.m. Central Time. And then it shows, oh, it even describes it. There's dark absorbing dust and a bright glowing gas behind it, which brings out sort of this horse head design. So I guess this was an actual image. It looked like a painting. Wow, I, I was mistaken. This was a picture captured by Rachin in Lebanon. Um, details that intricate tapestry of gaseous wisps and dust-laden filaments. These are probably two things you'll hear a lot of in space, dust and gas. Literally <laughs> a lot of molecular clouds, a lot of things that cause stars to form and, and planets to form and literally anything to form is dust and gas. And eventually rocky material can start to form. I usually compare it to a dust bunny in your corner of your room. Uh, you, it can start where it's just a dust particle and eventually it can grow or uh, a tumbleweed, which I've been seeing quite a lot of out here in Texas. So then we have stellar winds and supernovae. And this is this is a really beautiful image. I think this is really cool. It, it shows orange colored gas above the uh, horse head's nebula, horse head nebula's head. And then there's the flame nebula, which is visible to the left of the horse head, which is really pretty cool. It's located 1500 light years toward the constellation of Orion. So, wow, stunning image. If you guys uh, want to go check that out, head to apod.nasa.gov. Um, and that is quite an inspiration, I would say, for kicking off the week with all these beautiful colors and um, just a combination of star life and star death all happening within the same region of the sky. You know, I think that that's something... We have to probably try to keep in mind and remember whenever we think about sort of the perspective of the cosmos and that perception, I think it can help us a lot. Maybe, um, I don't know, sort, sort of look at things that are all around us because when you're in, in space or you're looking at things in space, you're witnessing all of that happening. It's like this constant recycling process and stuff is always made from previous stuff. 
And so it kind of makes you think like, is there ever any new stuff? Uh, and, and I guess in a way there, there, there probably isn't. It's just all being, yeah, decomposed, recomposed. So that's just a little bit of my point of view on that. It looks like we've got a caller. All right. Lauren, you are on the mic. What's up? Oh, and you're back to a listener. There we go. All right, Lauren. Are you there? There we go. Sorry about that. Oh, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. What's up? Um, I just well, wanted to comment one on the, 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 the picture of the day. That's an amazing orange color. I remember a, a couple of weeks ago we were commenting about the red. In yeah. Orange, and this is this has the you know the really bright orange with all the hydrogen. Yeah. Just amazing uh, 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 color there. <clears throat> yeah, and I love that. It, 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 like you mentioned, the, the hydrogen, it literally says this. I love this. That's why I love the caption so much. It'll say, like, yes. this is accumulated for over 20 hours. Hydrogen is orange. Oxygen is blue. Sulfur is green. And so this way now we're like, okay, now now we're yeah. confirmed what each of these are. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So that really that really helps out. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm just – this this picture is just incredible. Just amazing. And uh, I was also going to comment on the, are there any new stuff? I would say there's always new stuff. It's just going to take a really long time for us to see it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There could be yeah. literally a whole other, you know, who knows, something else that's going on on the other side of the universe and we just haven't been able to see it yet. Yeah. We won't see it for millions of years. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll be, we'll be dead. <laughs> Uh, good, great, great, great perspective. Glad you came called in to, to share that. That's, that's so great. Thank you, Lauren. Do you have anything else you want to share? Nope. That was it. That was good. <laughs> All right. Awesome, Lauren. Well, I hope you have a great rest of your day. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All righty. Well, um, that is about everything that I wanted to share for today. Um, I hope you guys get to go and check out astronomy picture of the day, even if, you know, we're not talking about it here on Space Talk. Because uh, it's just, it's always so captivating and there's always something new that I learn every time I, I click open an, a new image. So um, I attached the link for that in the in the comments. Um, so if you guys want to head over to the chat and check that out, it'll be there. But otherwise, I hope you all have a great rest of your day. Get out at night, look up at the stars, and I hope you get to do some stargazing. And until next time, add Astra. Yeah.